with the entrepreneurship, part of the problem is that people think they need to have it all figured out before they start. And they become paralyzed because it's, I don't think any successful business right now is exactly like what the founder envisioned it would be from day one. Welcome to the Creative Tax Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome friends to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artist makers and content creators where we talk about creativity and creative process and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram. I'm at Mike Bone. And you can check out some of my work on my website, which is mikebrennan.me. I'd also love for you to be a part of our private Facebook group. It's an online community called Daily Creative Habit. And it's simply for any creative of any expression that wants to raise their hand to say, I want to be more consistent with my creativity and craft. And so if that's you, head over to dailycreativehabit.com and we look forward to having you in the group today. Now for this week's episode, I have a guest, Michael Clements. And we talk about what it's like to be a creative person who has multiple interests and multiple pursuits. I think many creative people, myself included, identify with this, where there are different seasons of your life and different creative expressions that come to the foreground and background. And so we explore that through Michael's journey and just all the various roles that he has played thus far. And honestly, we talk also about the importance of taking a leap. Um, Michael really highlights the times in his life when he did not let fear hold him back, but yet he took a leap, he took a risk. Uh, He decided to put himself in a path for potential opportunity. And he talks about the role of serendipity in his own life as well. That when he did those things, he encountered opportunities and people that he would not have otherwise that completely shaped his journey. We also talk about how he went on to create Art Jams, which is a pretty cool uh, company that allows people to create kind of like the paint and sip idea way before paint and sip was even popular. So um, be sure to listen in closely to Michael's journey, his heart. I love connecting with fellow creative people who are pursuing multiple passions. And I know you're gonna enjoy this conversation. So without further ado, here is my creative chat with Michael. Well, Michael, welcome to the Creative Chats podcast. I wanna thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for the space, Mike. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So I love connecting with fellow creatives, obviously, that's why I have this podcast. But um, when I get the opportunity to talk to somebody also who has uh, multiple creative interests, uh, that's also very exciting to me, because I think um, figuring out how to navigate that space and just wanting creativity to touch every area of your life uh, is just something I think at the core of a true creative person. And so um, I'm excited to dive into your story and find out a little bit more about how you got to where you are today. What are some of the things that happened along your journey and um, just get to know you a little bit better. So thank you. Let's get into it. I love it. Let's talk yeah. creativity. Awesome. So let's dial things back to like way back childhood. Um when did you know that you were a creative person? Was there something that like an experience you had or certain things you were drawn to that just 
informed you that, yeah, you know what? I am a creative individual. Right. So hindsight is 2020. Yep. I think it's a really long time for me. It was actually only later uh, in my twenties. I realized that I was a creative person and then I can kind of go back and look at the things I did when I was a child and, and been like, Oh yeah. Right. Wow. I, I was creative, but um, I kind of have this, this theory that the things that you did as a child are, are the things that you should be doing as an adult. And we, we get derailed by what society tells us we should do or what your parents, what our people are doing around us or whatever the sort of structures are that you grew up in. Right. Um, but if you can kind of just go back and just think about what you did as a child and like, for example, um, I made these magazines, right? Like, I don't know, like fake superhero characters and drew them, sketched them out. And then some like sports things. I took like old magazines and like cut them up and made like magazines, right? Well, fast forward, I actually was a magazine editor for 15 years of my life before I started my art startup, right? Like that became my career. I was an editor in chief and editor and you know, it was in me. It was just something that I was just doing organically and, and naturally. Um, so yeah, I think that maybe that magazine editing and the sketching, but I didn't know I was creative. I really didn't. And I think a lot of people, I think that's one of the first things that we have to, you know, the bridge you have to cross um, as a creative is when do you look at yourself in the mirror and be like, you know, hi, I'm Michael and I'm creative. And it's not, if maybe if you grew up in a family where your parents were creative or they were like in some sort of creative industry or, or you go to a school that maybe has this program or something like that, but I didn't have many of that, right? Um, and because of that, I, it was really, this creativity was sort of suppressed within me and I was frustrated. I was very frustrated. Um, all the way through, I guess my 20s, I mean, most 20 year olds, I think are frustrated anyway, but I feel like, you know, it's kind of fair. You look really good and you're in great shape, but you're a little like frustrated career wise. Um, but it's like the yin and yang and all balances yeah, out. Totally. Yeah. But I, it just took like this. I mean, I can pinpoint it. I was 29 and I, I had to draw a line in the sand. I, was, I think I was working as like a consultant or like doing some like corporate training. And I'd never worked a job my entire life that was a creative job. Yet on the side, I'd been acting. I'd like, was sure, I was drawing. I was like writing poems in my notebooks. And I, I was drawing, making art. You know, it was just on pieces of paper, grabbing the things that are around me. I never took an art class. I never took any class, nothing, anything, right? Um, and I, I was like, okay, I need to change. Like, I finally realized you are a creative person. I was playing music. I was making film. I was doing all these little side projects, right? But never as a job. And I said, okay, the reason why you're frustrated is because you're just, you haven't made the leap. You haven't made the leap. You need to make a career off your creativity. So when I was 29, I drew this line in the sand and I said, all right, man, this is, from this day forward, I'm only going to work a job that is creative. And I gave myself a lot of leeway, you know, it, it could be music, it could be writing, it could be acting, it could be whatever, you know, like creative, pick the creative industry. Um, and I took this job 
in Shanghai teaching English for a summer. It was like a two month job or something like that. And because it included like a plane ticket over there. And you know, I was still pretty broke at this point, you know. And um also at 29, I already already lived overseas for seven years in Japan and Hong Kong, which or sorry, in Japan, I already lived overseas for about three and a half years in Japan. So I was familiar with living overseas. And I came back to America and I was like, I, I was like, I need a change. I need something to change. So I was 29, I decided I take this this job to teach English in Shanghai. I was like, okay, it's a plane ticket, and I'll get there and I'll just figure it out. Right. So well, you know, I, I'm there over the summer and teaching kids English and stuff like that at this camp in, in Shanghai at this university. It's like based at um, a university in Shanghai. And then the camp ends and I stay. I get on the plane to come go back to America because I told myself, this is it. You are going to make this happen. I don't know how it's going to happen, but you are making this leap, right? So I can see um, the university that I'm staying at, you know, I was like, hey, I missed my flight. And I need to stay an extra week or something, right? So, and they're like, oh, okay, fine. Um, okay. I had no plan. I had no place to stay. I didn't know anyone. I probably had like $50 in my pocket or something. And I went to, I was like going to the university to get the, you know, like you could use their computer to go on the internet, look for jobs. I wound up getting like this job interview in Hong Kong. And it was for like a teaching, English teaching job. But I, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this, but um. I don't really have a lot of other options right now. And the night before I left, I was, I go to a party at a hotel. It was really fun. They had like synchronized swimmers in the pool, like reggae night or something like that. And <laughs> um, I wound up running into this guy that was, that I knew from college at this party. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, no, I know. And it all started, you know, as I get older, I realize, okay, the role of serendipity is so important, right? And that, uh, you know, I was like, his name was Tim. Tim, what are you doing here? He looked at me, what are you doing here? You know, he's like working for some pharmaceutical company or whatever, I don't know. I was like, hey, can I have you a drink? He's like, yeah. And then I'm like, hey, I, I, can I like leave my stuff at your apartment? You know, cause I had brought like my mountain bike with me for some reason in a, like, a huge box, <laughs> not smart at all. So I had like all this stuff and I had to leave. I had no idea what I was gonna do with it all. So I had to leave the dorm that I would like was staying a week later. And he's like, yeah, man, sure. No problem. I was like, I'm just going to Hong Kong for the weekend for the interview. And can I leave my stuff? So he's like, yeah, it over tomorrow. So I brought it over before my flight. Literally the next day, got on my flight, went to Hong Kong and I just stayed there pretty much. I landed in Hong Kong and I'd never been there before. I didn't research anything. I let, got a taxi. I was like, take me to the cheapest place in Hong Kong because I don't have a lot of money. And the guy's like, what? This is before Google, man. This, you know, like date wise, um, 2000, like right at the, you know, like me turning 30 was exactly at the year 2000, you know, like the millennial and the whole, everything's like millennial, mm -hmm. the things changing. And so I had that, the kind of big change energy happening, right? And the taxi driver's like, okay. And takes me to Chungking Mansion, which is in um, Kowloon. It's a crazy place. You can Google it. It's got, you know, backpacker youth hostels, but also a lot of traders from other countries, like Kassan, India, Nigeria. But then there's also kind of like the 
triads, the gangs there as well. I mean, it's like a, a crazy microcosm place. So $7 a night in a youth hostel. Yeah, I stayed there, wound up staying there for three months, overstayed my visa. And um, it just at one point I was down to $30 in my pocket. And one day, this is about a week or a half into it, this there's this guy, Michael M. I still remember his name, walks into the youth hostel. He's got these frosted sunglasses. He's an agent, a TV agent, right? And he comes in, he's like, I'm looking for Western background artists to do TV and film jobs, right? Just like day, no questions asked. Every, it's like, he'd give you an envelope of cash at the end of the day. It was like 50 bucks or something. I said, I can do that. Yeah, I, I can be a foreigner, you know, for background. So he's like, great. No questions asked about visas or anything like that. Like, this is just like very under the table. So I wound up going and doing this TV gig. And since I had done some acting, um, you know, I know my way around Ed and, and whatnot. And he's like, wow, you're really good. And I was like, thanks. And they gave, he gave me the cash of the, the envelope at the end of the day. I was like, oh my God, this is like $50. You know, I'm totally set up in the youth hostel for a couple of weeks. And I kept getting some more TV gigs. And then I wound up, I would, every day I would go to the, this office business space and be able to use the internet to like look for jobs. And I wound up getting a job in Hong Kong as an editor. Um, I got a visa and I wound up living in Hong Kong for three and a half years. And during that time in Hong Kong, um, I became managing editor. I helped build a custom publishing house. Um, I did television. I did film. I did live theater. I had two art exhibits. I really just, flourished as an artist and it all became it was all because I made that leap and that and I also then realized at that point that I had this in me this whole time and I started to kind of read the tea leaves you know like oh wow I was making these magazines when I was a kid and I was drawing and I was like writing all these poems on the size of my notebooks in high school and like it all just kind of came full circle and that was the the big leap that I think so many creative people need to make and if you're at that state now where you feel frustrated, there's only one thing that's going to get rid of that frustration, and that is to just move, move forward. And it's like billiards, right? It's like you're standing at the table and you're getting ready to break and the balls don't go anywhere unless you create that momentum. And you got to hit the cue ball. You got to get the ball moving. You're not going to knock all of them down on the first shot, man, but you have to get the ball moving and get start. And that was the moment that began kind of the creative journey for me. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. You know, and I applaud you for listening to that, that urge to move because so many people, I think, get crippled by fear and the what ifs and not being able to break out of what they know as their current existence. Um, and yet, because it's trading for an unknown, right? Because it's, it's, it feels risky. It feels uh, like, you know, what if this doesn't work out? Um, yeah. But I love that you said, you know, it's it's getting in there and, and making the move and then setting up momentum um, and then seeing what relationships came into play and seeing what opportunities came. Um, you know, it sounded like you you just continually put yourself out there in places where you had to encounter new things and new people. Um, and that impacted your journey directly. Um which is pretty incredible. Um, how would you describe your, like your creative emphasis, right? Your narrative, if you will, for people when they say like, well, Michael, you know, you, you talk 
about a couple of different points there in terms of, you know, movies and filmmaking and, and, you know, a magazine editor art. Um, how do you talk about your creativity in such a way that there's kind of a, a cohesive element that people understand what it is that you do? <laughs> um, I probably should continue to work on that. I, it, it, I call myself an entrepreneur. Okay. And I, you, you mentioned something, let's go back. You, you said, what if, and I think removing what if has really been a guide, a guiding principle for me, mm. you know, like you have to remove the, what if, what if, what if I wouldn't have gone to this? What if I wouldn't have made this leap? What if I wouldn't have, you know, like put yourself in your shoes when you're 80, you know, years old or 70 or 80, do you want to say, I wish I would have, or would you rather say, well, I tried and I found out that, you know, maybe I failed or maybe it worked, but at least I removed the what if. And um, in terms of how I would consider and try to describe myself, I mean, left brain, right brain. Um, I consider myself a creative and, but I'm also you know, a business person as, as well. I mean, every artist is a business person, right? Because the, and their, their product is either themselves or their art. So I just consider myself kind of a hybrid, you know, a left, left brain, right brain, a creative being that is just making a living off their creativity. Um, and I, I don't know, it's, you know, it's like the blessing and the curse mm -hmm. of creativity. Yeah. The blessing is, you can do so many things. Mm -hmm. The curse is you can do so many things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yeah. And it's, you combine that with typically creatives aren't the most patient people. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think that at least if you're, if you're driven, you want it now, you want to make it happen. But when you're a creative being multidisciplinary artist, it takes time. And you, you know, I, I, I started to see these patterns where let's say I could do four or five different types of art, right? Writing or poetry and then drawing and sketching and, and visual art and then theater and music. Um, but they would only, they would always pair with each other. I would never, I would never have four happening at the same time. You know, it was like when I was in an act, after I let my, I went from Hong Kong, I went to LA. I, lived in, like, I was doing a lot of acting in Hong Kong. So I was like, great, you know, what's my, what's my entrance back into the States? What am I going to do? I need a job. Right. So I'm like, okay, I was doing a lot of acting in Hong Kong. Let's move to LA and try to be an actor in LA. Um, and that was an interesting phase because that didn't work out. The <laughs> so, well, I learned so much and I wound up just making my money off writing. So I'm like, okay, let's writing, let's do some writing. But uh, I think that I have this vision of what it's like for a multidisciplinary, a multidisciplinary artist to survive. First, it's like a recording studio. You ever go to a recording studio and it's just like mm -hmm. this huge soundboard? It's like it's like thirty channels, you know, with all the knobs, right? And some people, when they're young, they know maybe I want to be a doctor or an accountant or something like that. So they just have the one knob, and it's just like go for it straight ahead. But I wanted to move all the knobs, right? 
and I wanted to try. I want to try what it's like. When I was in Japan, I was in a band and we did original music and, you know, like I tried that and it takes time because I would move this knob over here a little bit and then something would happen and then I move over to this knob and then over to this knob. And then, but if you want the fullest sound, if you want the richest sound, you have to move all the knobs, but they only, it happens incrementally. It might be only be like six months over here or a year over here, or this three years that you spend in over here, right? Eventually, as you sort of work all of these knobs with all the different experiences, you start to have a fuller, richer sound. Um, and you're able to kind of lean on those experiences of all the, you know, that you, that you've had. And you don't have that when you're younger because you're developing those so that's why it is a race between sort of like patience and experience and failures and trying and going and moving, you know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. but you stick with it as a creative, the richer the sound gets, the more of those knobs slash experiences you have. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you describe that. Um, I heard somebody else talk about it recently too, in terms of approaching life as the creative canvas and so mm -hmm. creativity touching everything that someone does not just this is what i do for my quote job and therefore that's where creativity is relegated to but it, it comes out in how i cook my meals it comes in how i approach my relationships it comes out in so many different ways um and that isn't necessarily again some a, a job title that isn't something that you can you know, put on a resume necessarily, um, but rather it's a, it's a way to live um, creativity. It's a state of being. And, um, <clears throat> you know, you, I think one of the things that, that you touched on the patience aspect, um, it's really easy for creative people to want to see results right away, to see the fruit of their labor. Mm -hmm. And also when something doesn't happen the way that you think it should for it to feel like it's like kind of a lost cause, you know, like that was, right. oh, that was just an utter failure. That has nothing to do. That's the, that's the wonky piece of the, the puzzle that I don't really want to talk about or deal with right now. So we'll just set that aside because it doesn't really seem to have a place in my story. Um, but yeah, what I hear you saying is that it's really more holistic. Um, it's those pieces that also inform what you may do next and where your yeah. interests may lie and how you push into things. Right. I mean, and it also sounds like you, maybe tend to approach things more with a, um, almost like projects in, as, in, as opposed to this is a role or job type of situation. Is that true? I, I, I mean, I would approach it like, okay, I need to pay my rent and eat, right? Like let's, <laughs> right. let's take a look at the like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Like at, so much of my life I was at the bottom of the pyramid and like I need to pay rent so that would be like what 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 do I need to do but then eventually the need to be to find my authentic self and to live my authentic life as a creative became just as important as the money and the goal then became to combine those and kind of move up, you know, a, a rung where, okay, the money became 
something that came from you being your creative, authentic self. I don't know if, if that really, you know, answers your, your question, but um, that it's, it's a journey to, to get there um, in order to sort of be able to then start making money off of, off of your creativity. So you do have to, I don't know. Yeah. I guess it's project-based, but like uh, when I was in Shanghai, I didn't really know how things were going to pan out, but I wrote a couple travel articles just on my experiences and started shopping them. And one got, you know, picked up by, you know, China daily and then you know, two other for like local magazines. And that was the first time I had made money off my writing. I'm like, wow, so someone actually paid me for my writing. This is crazy. And no one told me to do that. I'd never done that before. Necessity is the mother of all invention. I needed some cash, you know, to like figure yeah. out how to get my plane ticket. And I'm like, well, I have these experiences and um, I don't know how I figured out how to, you know, who to talk to or whatever, but I did. I wrote these articles. I think I actually published the same article in three different publications, which as an editor, I realize it's not really the thing you're supposed to do, but Hey, you know, like, I got paid. <laughs> I've no one ever figured it out. It was like one magazine was for Hong Kong and the other one was like in, in Shanghai, but it was like the same article that I had, Hey, you do what you need to do. Right. Um, yeah, so I yeah. wouldn't consider that project focused. I would consider that survival focused, but also understanding that the survival has to be attached to your authentic creative self. And before it wasn't for me. Um, and I think it's more about calculated risk as well as project-based. I mean, you do have to have a focus, right? Like you have to have, although I say that where I didn't even have a plan when I went to, to Hong Kong or, or Shanghai, but I did have experience. I did have a master's degree. I'd already been in Japan for three and a half years. Like I, I, I knew kind of who I was. I had confidence in myself. So I made the leap. You know, I chose Hong Kong because, well, China's going to be an important place. Like they had a huge, it's a big city. It's like New York, right? They have a, a, a very robust media market there, right? And arts and entertainment. So it wasn't like I chose a place that didn't have the things that I knew that I wanted to get into, right? If that wasn't necessarily project-based, that's just sort of understanding who you are, what your strengths are, what you can bring to the table, knowing that you need to take risk but putting yourself in the best place to succeed with that risk because there's risk in everything. Right. So, and I think that while you're finding your footing, while you're finding your thing, there's no silver bullet. There's always going to be risk, but you want to put yourself in situations where you're more likely to succeed. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's more important than necessarily being project focused right at at first, it's like putting yourself in a position to succeed in the right place with the right mindset. Mm, yeah. And then it sounds like being nimble enough to pivot and adjust and figure out, okay, if this isn't working, where do I go from here? How do I use this as a springboard and not just a dead end? Yeah. And then, but also understanding that every single one of those experiences become who you are. You know, it, it's like our DNA depending on what you believe in and if you believe in science or not, but you know, I do. And we have DNA on these DNA markers from, you know, like 
our history of who our ancestors, our ancestors, you know, you go back tens of thousands of years, right? Each one of those genetic markers is in you. You're not removing them. Maybe with CRISPR you can, but that's a whole other conversation. But it's the same with your experiences. That there's not it, how you use your experiences, whether they were quote unquote failure or success. I mean, it's really up to you. Every six, everything you do, you can focus on. You can make lemon lemonade out of lemons, right? Like technically, my two years in LA as an actor could be considered a failure because I didn't become a working actor. I consider it a success because I realized that I didn't actually like the industry of being a working actor in LA and driving around and doing castings and like being on soundstage for like 10 years. Like I got, I mean, 10 hours a day, I got rid of the what if. To mm. me, that's a success, right? I went there and I actually saw it and lived it and was like, you know what? Actually, this doesn't align with me, you know, my creative and, but I was doing a lot of writing and then wound up getting that at a mag edit, you know, an executive editor job in Washington, DC, um, where I am now. So LA kind of propelled me into writing because that was the thing that was paying the bills while I was acting in LA, but I still have that with me now. I do a lot of sort of like work with TV and film here and having the experience of working at all the sound stages and knowing what it's like to be a working actor is really important. Um, and now I'm an associate producer, you know, for a, a television uh, production that that's in development right now. Um, and that's maybe the biggest lesson I learned in LA. If you want to be in a project, just make your own project, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. produce your own thing, you know, put yourself in it and move forward that way. Yeah. Yeah. I love it too. And speaking to the point of, of just getting in and trying it. And, and I think it's easy for, and again, especially for creative people with imagination comes this sometimes idealized version of something that we can attach to, to say, oh, well, if I was able to do this particular thing that I think I really want to do yet, I haven't really made any movement towards it. I can keep it as this fantasy. I can keep it as this idealized thing that would be like, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be great if I could do that? And and, um, and yet it really it's what you said. It's you need to get in there and figure out, is this actually something that aligns with you? Is this something that, right. that you're gifted in and that you're interested in and passionate about and feels authentic to you? Because if it's not, no amount of time of you fantasizing about it is going to really afford you anything to, to move forward in becoming really all that you should be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta try it. And yeah. failure is part of it, but failure also, there's a lot of lessons in failure, important lessons. Um, and that you, you know, don't have a victim mentality mm -hmm. at all. And I think kind of what you're talking about when, you, if you don't make that leap, then you are the victim, you are in a victim mentality because you're probably like complaining. It's like, Oh, you know, I just, can't get it going or you know it's like the, all the external factors are holding you down it's not really that way it's like you are holding yourself down right mm -hmm. um yeah. ultimately yeah yeah totally so let's come back into your story and i know you have a company now art jams how did that come about and what was the the pathway to that um give us a little context for that sure so it kind of works chronologically with once I left Hong Kong and was in LA for a couple, couple years. And I wound up 
getting a job in Washington, D.C. as executive editor for a, a magazine, um, a luxury lifestyle society magazine, right? Like the galas and the tuxedos and the photo shoots and all of that. And, you know, I didn't, I got that job pretty much. Well, I, I went to grad school in D.C., so I had some connection to D.C., but because at, in, when I was in Hong Kong, the title that I had gotten with that first job was a managing editor. And it was almost like Hong Kong was, you know, it would take me 10, 15 years in New York to get was it, what, what I was able to kind of connect with in Hong Kong, um, you know, in two or three years. So uh, armed with that, it's just a really kind of a, a, a funny, again, like we talk about serendipity. Serendipity is such a key thing in life. And I think you really need to be tuned into that as a creative and leaping and, and, and flying, right? And kind of letting the wind take you because it's never that first move that's your move. It's always a third or fourth or fifth. And then when it happens, you're like, oh my gosh, I just, I see how it's all connected now, but I didn't see it at first because you never see it at first, right? But then you understand how it's all connected once it happens eventually. Um, and the last job I had when I was in LA, I was working on West Wing um the tv show west wing yeah and when alan aldo was the president and jimmy smiths and it was like literally the last job that i worked and i was on the sound stage as a background artist I had a really good background job it was like the background artist had handed the folder to you know alan aldo i was like a recurring staffer you know it was like a big background the other background artists were like super jealous like oh he why does he get to handle the, the <laughs> you know the folder he gets like a, a 0.2 seconds of screen time you know and um and that was like on a Thursday and I want this magazine, the owners were, they're unique in people. I'll just put it that way. And they just move really fast. So I wound up getting hired and literally by that next weekend, I was out of LA and in DC, like I'd picked up and just like moved on in like two or three days. And the, the but I worked on Thursday on set for West Wing and it was this, the scene when they were doing this kind of this debate, this live debate. And there was a, one of the actors, um, Ron Silver, who has since passed away. Um, and I, I just happened to be stationed next to him, my Mark and his Mark or whatever, you know, it was like eight hours. You're on soundstage next to this person, but you're a background artist. You're not, not allowed to talk to, you know, the actors, but you know, it's like eight hours. You're going to have a little bit of conversation. So fast forward, that's like Thursday. I, I get this job. Um, it's taken a couple of weeks of interviews and stuff, but they're like, we want to hire you. We need you this weekend. We'll get you a flight. We got, we got you a place to stay. You start this weekend. Great. So now I'm in DC. It's Sunday. It's the Kennedy Center Honors, which is like the Oscars for DC, right? And this magazine is like this luxury lifestyle magazine. They, they're covering it. I'm in a tuxedo now. I'm at the Mandarin Oriental for the after brunch for the Kenny Center Honors, which is like, you know, all the celebrities that they, you know, and everyone that, that goes there. And I'm with this publisher. He's taking me around the room like, hey, this is the new editor of the magazine. I'm like, well, yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Ron Silver is there, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I go up, I said, hey, Ron, what's going on? And he looks at me, he's like, what are you? And I'm like, yeah, I'm the, the background guy from Thursday. Yeah. And he's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, this is my new job now. <laughs> so... It's like crazy. So I I did that. Um, man, it was like six years, five or six years. And I got to a point 
where I was just meeting so many interesting people and interviewing, you know, when you're like an editor for the magazine and um, you know, doing all these features and everyone you're interviewing is like doing something interesting because that's why you're interviewing them. You want to put them in the magazine. It was like a chef that has a new restaurant or they're an actor that has a film coming out or, you know, they're a philanthropist with a billion dollars or something like that. And I'm like, just like the cumulative effect of all of that I was like, I need to do something besides like work for someone else. Like it's time for me to have my own business. I'd never had my own business. And I think just being around so many incredible people and interviewing them and I'm a Leo too. It's like, well, I want to be the one being interviewed. I got to the point where I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. You got a new film coming out. You know, it's like, I want to be the one being interviewed or something, you know? Um, and so I was like, okay, how do you do this? Well, how do you start a business? How do you be an entrepreneur? I've never been an entrepreneur. I'm a communication major and an artist, you know, like I'm creative or something. I don't know what a PL is, or I never took an MBA course or anything like that. So I think that first the motivation just came. I wanted some, I wanted to challenge myself. I'd never had my own business. So now it's time, right? But you need an idea. Mm-hmm. So, and I think this is, this is something really practical about this next piece of advice, Mike, is you have to make these steps, these tangible steps. So the first thing I did was since I got my master's in American university, I realized that I could also, I could audit classes for free, basically. So I audited a second year MBA class on entrepreneurship. Um, While I was working full-time in this magazine and I was at night, I went in, I was like, okay, you know, use the tools that are available to you. I don't have to pay for this class. I already pay for my master's degree. So I'm going to go in and I learn, you know, what a SWOT analysis and put together business plans and all of this stuff. Right. Um, And during that time, I was also kind of hanging out one night with a couple of friends, just painting, having some drinks, listening to jazz music. It's like one in the morning. And I was like, this is so much fun. Like, I wish there was a place besides like the attic of the house that I'm renting um, that we could do this. And the kind of the light went off like, wow, yeah, that would actually, that'd be kind of cool. And this was before kind of paint and sip was around This is basically what we were doing. Right. Um, this is 12 years ago. And but then there's something that I remembered something, and this is where it comes full, full circle. I remembered when I was living in Hong Kong, there was a lady that had an art gallery And she would let people go in after it closed, like after hours, it was a two level place. And on the second level, she had an art studio set up and people could come and she would give you art materials and canvas and wine. And we listened to music and we would just paint and and she called it art jamming. And so now this is 10 years later now that I'm in DC. And I'm kind of going through my mental Rolodex. I'm taking this MBA class. I'm like, well, I need an idea. I need an idea. And I'm like, paint, like I said, painting with my friends. And then when that light went off and then I realized, oh yeah, I remember I was, I did this in Hong Kong a couple of times and I really enjoyed it. Like, I think we can do this and no one is doing this in DC. So I just rented out a, um, a gallery space for a weekend and bought some canvas and some brushes and, I was his editor for a fancy magazine. So I knew every single editor and media person in DC. So I got tons of free press because I just like (laughs) hit up all my, you know, again, it's like, what do you already have available? A lot of entrepreneurs think, oh, I need that in order to succeed. The first place you need to look is what do you already have? 
that you can leverage in order to get you to the next level. It's not like you need this external thing. A lot of people, that's a big lesson that I've learned as well. It's like maximize what you have already. You all give, you have just, you have a lot of stuff already that you can maximize and, and use. Don't always kind of think you need this external help. If this, if only this person helped me or if only I had this money or if only this job or whatever, what do you already have? Um, in this case, I had a really good network that I developed. So I got tons of like press, had this for the weekend, this paint party, you know, and it was like a huge hit. And it was like in the Washington Post and all this stuff. And people are like, well, you know, when are you going to do it again? I named it Art Jams instead of Art Jamming. Um, I just had the Z, I had the, the Z and uh, yeah. So Ironically, and you know, like long story short, what I wound up quitting my my magazine job because I did the art parties for two years and they just were getting bigger and bigger. I'm like, okay, this is it. I can I can kind of transition out, right? I and mean, there's never like a that's a whole other part is like when is the transition to going like full artist? Like when it for me, the the point is, are you making a living off of your art, right? Or what you're doing as an entrepreneur. Otherwise it's a hobby, right? So to me, it was still, I was still a hobbyist because I was making my live my money off the magazine gig, the magazine job. And I was doing these, this side hustle, right? And that's another big question. It's like, there's never going to be a perfect time to kind of make that transition from like the quote unquote real job in, you know, in making the, the side hustle, your real job or whatever. And I decided I'm going to get a retail space and which I'd never had and didn't know anything about. And we wound up, you know, like I was in retail for eight years with three different locations. Um, you know, I quit the magazine job and I did live full time and I still do with, with our jams. Um, well, until COVID and we closed all the retail locations, that's a whole other pivot story, but that's sort of how we got in, how I got into that. And one of the interesting things I think is the idea of art jams was seeded when I was in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. And now like, that's my business. Now I didn't go to Hong Kong to found art jams. I didn't even know what art jams or pain and sip was. Right. I just went there because I knew I wanted to be creative and make a, and live as a creative being be, as my authentic self. 10 years later, the thing, something that I did in Hong Kong that I didn't even realize at that point, would be important. It was just like a fun night painting and drinking would actually then become my career, right? And that's really, as I, again, going back to kind of the soundboard, right? With all of these buttons, I realized that now how important that was, but I didn't know then. And that's why you have to be open to experiences. You have to experience because you just don't know that that experience that you're having today that while you're listening to this, what you're doing right now or what you're going to do after, that exact thing could be in five years or in 10 years, the most important experience that you've had or the idea or the spark that actually becomes your career, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and people instead, they're looking for that right off the bat. As if I would have gone to Hong Kong, I'm going to go to Hong Kong because I want to invent a business called Art Jams in 10 years. You know, like that's not how it works. Right. <laughs> yeah. But that's how it happened. Right. Yeah. It's collecting pieces along the way and then figuring out, oh, this is where this fits in. Okay. This is what role this has. Um, 
And, you know, I think from my, from my seat, I've had seasons, right. Where some things are in the foreground and others in the background and then another season will switch and it'll go reverse. Um, And it's, I think being willing to step into whatever that right season is for you right now Um, and being open and um, having your eyes open, you know, like you said, and just understanding that, that it all has a place. Um, It may not come to fruition for years, like in your case, you know, with that idea, Um, but you were still paying attention. You were still showing up and being fully present where you were. Um, And that's how you were able to receive that. And then later on, turn that into now a business. Yeah. So I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. Because I, with the entrepreneurship, that's part of the problem is that people think they need to have it all figured out before they start and it, they become paralyzed because it's, I don't know. I mean, I don't think any business is the, the that uh, I don't think any successful business right now is the exactly like what the founder envisioned it would be from day one, you know, like it is a process. And like you said, the pieces, picking the pieces and not sometimes picking the pieces up after they've been shattered. Um, And, and not discarding those pieces, respecting Mm -hmm. each of them along the way. Yeah. And kind of like storing them. I'm not a hoarder, but I will hoard experiences bad and good because you never know when you need them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I just want to thank you so much for just unpacking the the journey and, and so much of your experiences and, and insights on that you've collected along the way as well. Um, we're kind of at the top of our time, but I want to ask you one more thing. Um, and that would be, what is just a piece of advice maybe that you can give to somebody else who's listening right now? Uh, something that maybe has to do with creativity or not, but something that you come back to again and again, knowing that it's been helpful for you. Uh, my mom had this expression, uh, a mantra. She said, celebrate life. And I think I kind of, it, it explains it right there. So I try every day to tell myself to celebrate life, you know, like every day is a gift, um, and make the best out of it. Be true to yourself. and take some risks and just know that um, serendipity comes into play. Be open to serendipity and just keep moving, keep moving forward. Um, and things will shake out. They always do. They always work out. But celebrate life though, I think is a great mantra that at least I try to live by. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great words for sure. And I think sometimes in the midst of the struggle, it's easy to lose sight of celebrating. And so that's an awesome reminder today for sure. So, well, I want to thank you again for our time together. And um, I know that this conversation has been helpful for people. Um, I just, cause I know for me, even just hearing your story and hearing your experiences, um, I just love connecting uh, with fellow creatives and knowing that, you know what, like we all have different experiences and yet there's so many commonalities in our journeys and um when we can learn from each other and be encouraged by each other and say, you know what, let's keep going. Let's keep creating. Uh, Cause there's more yet to come. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Mike, yeah. I really appreciate it. And um, 
I love creativity and everyone that, that's listening to this. I appreciate what you're doing too, to help bring creativity. The world needs more of it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll be sure to put your links in the show notes so people can just click and uh, find you, find Art Jams and uh, follow along with what you're doing and uh, hopefully link arms with you as well. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.